I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, so I'm going to wear these headphones in a weird way, so I'm sorry if it's a little distracting. That's how we were at recording. Hi, everyone. I'm Evelyn, your host, and this is Reppin', a podcast all about representation. We include and go beyond race, gender, and orientation because it's also about values, truths, overcoming challenges, and the lessons learned. You're going to meet notable people, people you think you know, and you'll find out who they really are, what they show up for, and what they represent. Today, we have a vocal powerhouse. She made her Broadway debut in 2011 in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. She went on to star in Hands on a Hard Body, which ran on Broadway in 2013, and was nominated for the Outer Critics Circle Award, Drama Desk Award, and a Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical. She continued to rack up some impressive credits when she appeared in Les Miserables, Waitress, and went on to star as Tracy Turnblad in the national tour of Hairspray. In 2017, she was Letty Lutz in the film The Greatest Showman, along with Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron, where she crushed the hit song This Is Me. It's a song about standing up, being seen, and self-acceptance. 
This Is Me won the 2018 Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song and was nominated for the Academy Award for the same category. Say hello to the amazing Kayala Settle. So Kayala, let's dive deep, girl, because I ain't even going to wade into the pool here. I don't have a wading area, so right, awesome. <laughs> welcome. You're going to find out. <laughs> You're going to find out. But I know you grew up in Hawaii. Yeah. And you had a, a pretty large family. Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and some of the early values that you remember being instilled in you? What a great question. I'm the oldest of five. And God love my mom and dad. My mother is was originally from New Zealand. And my father is originally from England. He went to Hawaii. He became a Mormon. And then they were like, hey, we do this mission thing. Want to do it? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? And he did it. And he met my mom during his mission. They didn't do anything. And then he finished his mission and proposed to her. And I love her so much. And I think as much as she loved him, she was going in her mind, oh my gosh, someone's going to get me out of New Zealand and go to America. I'm there. Let's go. (laughs) Great. Just kidding. But (laughs) so they got married in New Zealand and they went back to Hawaii. That's where I was born. And that's sort of where the whole family started. They immediately left to Louisiana. Both he and my mother were on visas and then became naturalized citizens of the United States. And my other four brothers and sisters were born there. I have a brother and three other sisters. And then we moved back to Hawaii and stayed there until we all became adults. Being the oldest of five, there's a lot of expectation and pressure, I would imagine. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? And sort of, again, do you remember some of the early values that were instilled? That's a great way to ask that question, which you probably know because you are also a child of immigrant parents, is my guess, correct? Yeah. So that's a great way to ask that question. My mother has passed away. She passed away about five years ago. May she rest in peace. Each of us had such a different relationship with her. She came to America with my father, and she was in a family of 16 in New Zealand. 16? Yes, one six. Wow. And two of them were adopted, but there was still a family of 16. Her and her family, my uncles and aunties, they lost my grandmother at at their very young ages. And so all of those children were split up into different aunts and uncles for them. Whoever could look after all these kids because there were so many and she had passed away so young, my grandfather got overwhelmed. And it's also the cultural thing to do. So Moving into America, there was a draw for my mother and my father to come here to start another life and a different life other than the one that they knew, both of them individually and collectively. I think for us, some of the most important lessons that we learned were all cultural. There are cultural things that happen that are not American. (laughs) And so when you are raised in those And then unleashed into the world, a.k.a. open the door to your house and walk out and live there. But you're living a different lifestyle within your home. It is extremely fertile grounds for bipolar disorder. For lack of a better term. For lack of a better term. But it's true. It's not a blame thing. That's not what this is at all. This is what life does. There is a country that's created that touts freedom and what that means and the idea of commerce. And you can make yourself into something 
And as you learn later, for money, <laughs> you know, so that's kind of like a whole Western ideal, which is why my mother wanted to come over in the first place. She was a singer as well. Growing up with her and my father, she was the head of the household. And what we learned culturally is that we don't eat, drink, shit, sleep, thrive without her permission. Boss. Yeah. Those are really, really, really good traits within that culture. When you try and adapt those into other cultures, like the culture that you actually live in, it's very hard because you, you're now mingling with others that were not raised that way. And I think that's across the board. But I can only speak on my experience in the sense that... Of course. Also because we left Louisiana and went back to Hawaii. And Hawaii is a melting pot of Polynesian cultures and is kind of like their America. And then when you go to the mainland, which is what we call it, it's like, oh, we hit the big time. We went to the mainland because our version of America was Hawaii. Right, because it's the biggest city. That was our metropolis, yeah. I mean, there's this whole Polynesian triangle with all of these countries that are islands that are within. That was the norm for us. And then I have to sit down and think of where I where I've not only been raised, where I've had the opportunity to live, quote unquote, <laughs> live and learn, but also everything that I've been afforded through what I've had an opportunity to do career-wise and all the places I get to go. And then I come back here in the time of COVID where I can't move at all. And I literally sound like Rip Van Winkle just woke up and was like, well, let me tell you back in the day. But I mean... There are so many core values, like family is first. The, the idea of always understanding what perspective is, what that means. Empathy, I don't think, is a learned thing. The idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes is sort of, if you're in an environment where that is a common theme, you, again, it's something that you, that is ingrained in you. So there are still moments, even when I look around, because I'm very grateful, so grateful for the privilege and the opportunity that I've had just in recent years to be able to have what I want and do what I get to do up until COVID. Right. But there are so many times when I look around and I, I have to just not, I get embarrassed because I wish that I could give everything to everybody back home where we all walked to school or we borrowed <laughs> borrowed somebody's bike to get to school or to get back to work or, you know, where you had to walk and go get cackle fresh eggs up on the freeway and hope you don't get hit. Just very humble beginnings. Those things, those always stuck with me. And as much as they're incredible, they're also detrimental to me just because I'm realizing how much that thought process I can't really function with. You know, when you say detrimental to you, can you give me a little bit more clarification on that? Because when you talk about having the sense of empathy and gratitude and remembering mm -hmm. where you came from right. and realizing that those, not all of it, but make up some of your mm -hmm. general foundation. Yeah. So when you talk about remembering these humble beginnings, for me, when you first lay that out, I would think, well, why would it be detrimental? So can you give me a better understanding of when you say it can be detrimental as well? I'm going to make this blanket statement and it's from me. It's not towards anybody else. I'm sure billions of other people or whoever is listening to Everyone's will different. have a different, and they can, they get to, that's the beauty of the idea of being an individual. Yeah, absolutely. It's detrimental to me in the sense that when you walk into the business of selling yourself, 
no matter what level, no one really, for me, said, make sure you are okay with yourself because you're selling yourself. They say, be a brand, be a brand, be a this, be a that. But it's still a facade in this industry because I've had to do it. I've had to do it. I mean, for God's sake, I was asked to sing this song that I didn't want to sing because it was issues that I have never dealt with or ever accepted. In fact, not only that, I've actually been able to live on arguments based on the subject of the song, This Is Me. I've been able to actually become this, at the time, this person that's like, well, you're not going to hire me because I look like this or like that or, you know, whatever, and sort of feeding into this frenzy. And then all of a sudden they want to hear it. And I was not prepared for that. And I will be honest with you. There are still moments that I'm way still not prepared with that because that's stuff that's way personal. I didn't even write it. So the whole idea of it, everything like that being detrimental is the fact that you have to dig deep and find out where your main root inside of you is and how to water it, how to give it sunlight. Because once you go out into that world, they will take anything and everything. They will take the bloom. They will take the squash. They will take whatever roots they can to try and plant them somewhere else. Again, not a bad thing. It's just the idea of understanding in a nutshell, the only way that you can sort of be okay with who you are is to do the work. And for me, doing the work is remembering those humble beginnings and remembering. So getting all this cool stuff and hearing people saying, you're so grand, da, 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 da. That's somebody I wish I was. Cause I'm not. When I open my mouth, I'm actually telling you that I'm not, which a lot of people don't get. If you went back to those words and learned and heard all of those things, that's actually where I'm trying to get. And the pain that you hear in that song is where I'm at. Wow, that's so fiercely personal. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So 
This Is Me. It's an incredible anthem. It's a huge hit. It won a Golden Globe, nominated for an Oscar, you know, all those things. Right. There is a reason why This Is Me resonates with people all over the place, not only because it's a kick-ass song and you slayed the shit out of it. <laughs> You're very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. The song resonates with people worldwide because it deals with themes about acceptance, not only by society, but within yourself. And it's, it's about, you know, embracing who you are with no apologies. Let me just set this up in context. I came across a YouTube video and it was a workshop. Now, a workshop is essentially where a lot of the actors and people involved with the project come together and um, showcase the material in an effort to get the project made. It's a proof of concept. Yeah. Now, you started singing the song, standing behind the mic. You know, you were off to the side and you seemed like you were making yourself very small which was really interesting because here you are singing, which you've done a million times before in major productions, in theaters, in, in, you know, on tour. So you'd think you'd be, you know, super comfortable singing. And here you are in this casual workshop environment and you're behind this mic, almost like shrunken into yourself. And slowly as the song progressed, you stepped out from behind the mic and you literally exploded. I mean, the whole room was electric. It was so inspiring. Can you talk a little bit about that moment and what was happening there? And when you say, be okay with yourself, was that a moment where you became or started to become okay with yourself? Nope. And I would love to have a licensed psychotherapist watch that video and explain it and see if my notes, because I was in it, match theirs. I was told that that video was going to be released. I was in Sydney, Australia, right before Christmas of 2017, doing press. And I was sitting next to my director who, and we had been doing interviews and whatever. And halfway through the day before the next person came in on the press junket, he leaned over and he said, oh, by the way, um, you were putting the video of the song, of you singing the song in the room uh, on YouTube. Just wanted to let you know. Okay. And even now I'm like, oh, even now I just, I just went, okay, <laughs> just, I, what can, what do you do? What do you do? Because here's what happened. I had been doing this reading with them, with Justin and Ben. The composers. I was just in the background and I was happy to be so. <laughs> happy to be so. Because I had already accepted my lot in life that I was never going to be in the front. I was never going to be the lead because of the way I looked, because of the way that the industry was trying to put me into a box. Justin and Benj came to me with a song. I heard the demo and I went, this is great. What do I care? You know? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we really want you to sing this. And I was like, I um, just got really sick. I mean, even right now I'm still getting sick. So tell me what happened. I just got petrified. I got really, really scared. Because each time we were having rehearsals, it was like, yeah, like, can you come forward and do this? And I was like, I'm not singing this song yet. And I remember I wasn't even doing it. I only did it once the day before we did the reading because I was so scared. I didn't want anybody to see me. I just really didn't. And I didn't want people to see me saying those words because it was a lie. 
talk about an acting job, the only way that I could actually really do it. I stood in front of a mic stand and I stood back with the choir because I'm a firm believer in an ensemble of a production, whether it's a film, a television show, or a live theater production. A story is told with so many different perspectives. We focus on three or four of them or maybe one or two of them. But one person can't tell that story. Everybody has to tell that story. So I've always been a fan of getting into a sandbox and going, guys, what are we playing? What are we doing? Let's do it. It's my favorite. Yeah. Singing that song, I was petrified. So I stayed back there because I wasn't going to move. They had already asked me and prepped me, Kayla, you've got to come forward. I was like, fuck you. And I knew that Huey couldn't sing that day because he had had... Huey? Uh, sorry, Hugh Jackman. Yes, sorry. Not everybody knows him as Huey, honey. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I actually don't call him that. We call each other cut-down names because that's just our relationship. Very grateful for it. It's very nice. I know a lot of people can't say that, so I'm very grateful for that. Anyway. Yes. I knew that I, there was no way out. And for me, my coping mechanism is to turn into almost a bear, guns loaded. And that's what happened in that song because there was nowhere I could turn. So I had to completely change who I was in the middle of that song to get the song out, just to get it out. Then when it got to the quiet section of the song, I turned around and realized what I had done and started freaking out and almost started hyperventilating. So I looked for the closest thing that I could find to grab, and it was Huey's hands. So I grabbed him. I was shaking all the way to the end of that song because of how scared I was, because because of how vulnerable I felt. And it makes you feel even more vulnerable when there's people looking at you. You can literally see that transformation through the video. Now, going back to that particular performance of This Is Me, and also what you said earlier about your mom being a boss and sort of, um, you know, what you call the bipolar existence or the conflicting uh, value system. And again, we're speaking very generally. When you have that friction of here's the world that I live in and the values and, and, and uh, principles that I have and you go out with this lens and you go out into a world where everything else does not... <laughs> have the same sort of cogs. How does that cause friction? Can you give me a, an example or an experience where it was a, an issue that might have been hard, but you learned something from it and it did help you get through that fear that you were talking about, which showed itself in, you know, singing the song that made you feel so vulnerable? Dang, that's a, another good question too. <laughs> I actually don't think that that there's any defining moment because so much of that is ingrained in who I am. I think we all forget as human beings, we are going to survive however way we're going to survive. And that survival technique is what sort of defines all of the different facets of who we are, which makes us so individual because the environment will always be different for each one of us. I mean, the most common times that I've thought about it, to be honest, is during this time. During this weird science fiction COVID shit. Okay. I, oh, I'm going to be so candid. I'm so excited about it. Uh, so I've never been, had a chance really to grow up with my family after the age of like 18 or 19 because of things that have happened. But recently up until now, 
there are moments where the family is first. Why don't you do this? In my culture, the New Zealand culture, it is very difficult to be, for me, because of what I do for a living, to be able to do that and to be true to myself at the same time, because I have to find out who myself is. Because in this world, which is this cultural world, I'm the oldest and I owe everything to, like when we go to New Zealand, we used to go to New Zealand as kids, we would take suitcases and suitcases of clothes and stuff from America so that when we got there, all they did was go through our stuff. And we knew we weren't going to come home with it. Again, that was part of one of the things that were instilled in us was the gratitude and the perspective and the understanding that not everybody has this. And that's why my mother left New Zealand was to be able to have this and offer it to her siblings in whatever way she could. Right. We weren't individuals as much as we were trying to be in a world where they love individuality in a, you know, in a society in the U.S. where individuality is like they say it's key and stuff like that. We couldn't do that because we were still, you know, you need to do this. And for me, I fought that so hard to the point that my mother and I never really, I mean, I didn't talk to her for 12 years. It was too much. It was like, well, you need to take care of the land in New Zealand. I said, I've never lived there. Please, I, you have to understand that what you're asking me to do right. slash telling me to do is insane. That's a rock and a hard place. But I also know that it's for her. So how can you not do that? But hey, that's the American dream. That's what she came here for. Right. I can't get upset with her for that because that's all she had. My mother's tools came from a completely different life. Right. In the sense that culturally, they don't do any of this. And I can't knock her for that because that spirit is instilled in me. And a lot of times I get down on myself for it because there's so much joy that my mom really couldn't go through because she was so hell bent on surviving with five kids. I mean, for God's sake, of course, when we're going to be born, she's like, okay, you do the dishes. You do this, you do that. And some of my brothers and sisters got it more than I did because she was the CEO. That's still a really difficult position to be in. I mean, it's one thing to understand it on an intellectual level. Mm -hmm. But then go there. Yeah. It's very difficult because it just feels like two cogwheels that are going in opposite directions. They are. And they grind. All day, every day. Yeah. As a person that is in that situation, like seriously for myself, thank God for COVID because I've actually gotten to a place where it's like, I actually don't even need this cogwheel. Because I realized that I could create my own cogwheel. There are so many memories that I am currently, even last year when I was on tour with Huey, I was able to go to New Zealand and make my own memories and not ride on the back of my mother's who was gone. That is such an incredibly difficult position to be in because, again, intellectually you can understand something. Yeah. But feeling it and living it is completely different. Yeah. So for you going from that workshop moment to touring to all of this, what have you learned from those experiences that help you cope with the fear, the insecurity, and now kind of acceptance, accepting yourself and, and kind of breathing what that song is about? I had the privilege of singing this song in Mexico City in an arena. And Mexico City is a beautiful city with extreme poverty. And when I went into that arena just from the beginning of the show. They were screaming so loud 
to just be there. And I knew that those tickets were not cheap. And I knew that the people were there because they wanted to be there. When I had the opportunity to go and sing my song, they were singing the song, every single person in that arena in English. So I asked them because I couldn't sing anymore because I was so overwhelmed. I asked them in Spanish to continue to sing with me. And they did because I couldn't sing anymore. And they screamed. And in that moment, that's when I realized when you connect with a human being in any way, that's what you feel. That's why you're feeling it. That's why I was scared. And the only way that I could accept the fact that I was connecting with someone else feeling this way was to turn into that person. And I have since learned how to get a different coping mechanism or completely get rid of it altogether and accept what that emotion is in a positive way. Because for so many years, someone told me, you know, remember who you are, but don't look like this. Don't do this. Don't look, don't, don't wear this. Don't eat this. Don't, you know what I mean? And now it doesn't matter. That's really cool. But since then, especially with the help of Hugh and his wife, Deb, and his family, I, we, we spend so many moments discussing stuff like this and talking about it and what it means to, what that emotion means to Hugh, because everybody has that emotion more or less, right? right. So, and it's just the whole idea of connection. The second somebody connects with somebody else, that's where that people, what people call magic that's what that is. That's when you actually find yourself in yourself. I was so scared of that, that I ran. Now, looking back at your journey, what do you celebrate? And what would you want to tell people that are still in that position of being scared of being seen? I think what is so interesting about the human condition is that we have to have moments like that in order to rise from something, if that makes any sense. And I think that's one of the most uplifting things about the human condition, even after everything that's happened, even this year. Okay, what else? I have to stay off of social media as much as I can because you will continually compare yourself. And it, right now it's an elitist club and I don't need that. I don't need that. I'm happy for everybody that's in the club. I'm very happy for them. And the work that I get to see from that, that's awesome. But I don't want... And, and it's me comparing myself to anybody is not them. That's me. So what I can do is stay off of that as much as I possibly can so that I don't immediately go into that. Because I think in the industry, we do that so often. That's actually our real first job as opposed to, you know what I mean? As opposed to doing the actual work. I mean, fitting into categories and boxes. Right. right. Or any category at this point. You know what I mean? Right. I'm not knocking anybody because I've learned so much in this industry. And I love learning about it. I love, I love learning about the people that are in it on all sides from behind the scenes. So the people that are in front of the camera, the people that are trying to make the camera work, the people that are trying to freaking cater the place. You know yeah. what I mean? I've met so many people in it and I've learned, especially in this time, if I can't find hope anywhere every morning, then I need to look harder because there is always hope. You have to keep going for yourself. You have to find the hope every single day in anything. And I mean in a tomato that's on a vine. I mean in a piece of basil that's not dead yet and still salvageable. And you can put it in a pasta or whatever. Understand that you get to breathe every day. 
if you get to breathe every day, if you get to walk every day. You have to find joy in that. And what I've discovered is that in looking for hope every day, that's when I find out who I am. Not when I go, okay, I have to find out who I am today. That's not how you find out who you are. You find out who you are by being in this situation of looking for hope and light and joy anywhere, every single day and live your life accordingly. And it really is a practice though, isn't it? It's not easy. It is not easy. I cannot depend on my father or my brother or my sis or my sisters to fill that void because it's never been that way. And now I can make peace with the fact that I can love them and they don't have to fill a void for me because that is actually not who I am, which is what I've discovered and healing from that. But understanding also that the chosen family that I have, the people that I've met along the way, whether they're fans or not, there's a reason why we're connecting and to actually give the power to that. Like I'm about to do this Covenant House stage and screen sleep out. And I want to do for the first time a stage at concert to raise funds because these kids, they have nothing to hide. You want to talk about warriors? They are the song. Even though I know nothing, I know nothing about being homeless. I know nothing about fighting for your physical life every night. That I, and I fight for these kids and I have for the past seven years. That's incredible. That also harkens back to the start of our conversation about giving back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Duh. No, that's for me to say, duh. <laughs> I need to say that to you with love. But yeah, that really, it does tie back into the very onset of our conversation. It's about giving back yeah. and remembering, you know, that you have something to give back. Yeah, that's the privilege that I have is that I have something that I can give back in some way. That's what I'm grateful for. I've been able to accept the fact that I have that and that I don't have to be ashamed of it because then there's that shame. I sense a real kind of new position that you're in where you're settling into being seen, being comfortable. It just seems like you're kind of in this new space and it's still a work in progress as it should be. It should be for all of us. Yeah. If you really want to do it, it's a, it's a hard road, man. It's a really hard road. We pay people to help us do it. That's how hard yeah. it is. Yeah. Because we need to find somebody else and go, can you take me out of me so I can find me? Right. It's worth it. Oh my God. It's beyond worth it. All the things that you've you've discussed in terms of your personal life, like recognizing your history, how it how it colors your view, and being comfortable making the choice to be okay with who you are. Yes. Do you take those applications and apply it? I am not the only person sitting here up in COVID going, Who am I? I am not the only person doing that now. Right. Because we are so used to waking up and literally searching, waiting by a phone for someone to tell us, I want you to do this. That's our whole life. That's what we do. We wait for someone to tell us what to do and how we do it and how much we get paid for it. That's what we wait for. And now we can't do that. So rather than wait for somebody else to tell you what to do or me, you do it for you. When we are in a place where all we do is do what other people tell us to do and our who we are is on the line, especially for a performer, and when there's nobody there to tell you what to do, you better find a reason to exist. Find a reason to matter and don't take anybody else's reason because that's still not you and you're still using a different coping mechanism. And I'm saying that because I used to do that and I'm still trying to not do that. All right, Kayla, I'm going to, I'm going to press you. Okay, come on. 
So now, given your new sort of position and bandwidth of where you where you are in your headspace, what's your reason for mattering now? The reason why I fight to matter for me is because I know I'm the only person that's like me that has this story. Yes. One of my closest friends sat me down and said, Kayala, I know that you don't think that your stories matter, but they do. And I hope everybody in the world can hear them so that you will finally understand how much they matter to you and how much you matter, because those stories can only be told by you. What do you celebrate about your life and where you are now? So I celebrate the fact that I love being here. Just that alone. Not even touching the fact that I matter, because I'm I, you know, working on that. But I mean, some days are great, some days are not. The fact that I want to be here to play, I'm very grateful that I have that. I'm grateful too. Uh, I definitely want to keep you all day, but I know you can't because the dog has to pee. So um, <laughs> sign us off. Let us know who you are and what you represent. My name is Kayala Settle, and I represent a rainbow in the storm. Thanks to Kayla Settle for being a guest, for being so open and for sharing your stories with all of us. Next up is Tara Setmayer, a political commentator, a former GOP communications director on Capitol Hill, and a senior advisor to the Lincoln Project. This is Tara Setmayer. Don't miss my upcoming episode on Reppin. Reppin is available on all top podcast platforms, so subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. And I want to hear from you, so tweet me. You can reach me at Reppin Podcast and follow me on Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thanks always to Nelson Pinheiro, my musical composer and technical director for all of his time and talent. Love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.